This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Guy who couldn't come up with an intro say, what? What? Ah, I gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but, but this this is an issue we should address. What's going on, guys? And welcome back to the podcast where a man, me, Kyle Moore, uh, and the personification of my mental illness, uh, talk about the world of mental health uh, with quite literally myself and special guests. Guys, thanks for rating and reviewing. <laughs> oh, oh, no. Give me one of those podcasts. Oh, okay. Off to a hot start. Guys, thank you for rating and reviewing the podcast. It, on it's honestly funny. Media platforms. It's honestly funny you can't even say uh, it. And I'm going to keep the trend going because oh, contrary to... No. I was going to say I'm... you. Um, no, I was gonna but, say everybody. Yeah, I am enjoying this little, uh, this little. Hey, rate and review the podcast, and I'll, and I'll, you know, send you a little, little something, something if you, uh, if you show me on the Life Instagram account. Nothing. Um, so last week I did a dad joke. The week before that I did a picture of my dog. Um, <laughs> what prizes? What grandiose uh, prizes? Jeez. Um, what do you got right, this how week, about this big week? Guy? If you send me, oh, it could be anybody. God. Somebody AirPods? I know, I've known for life. It could be somebody I've never met before. A new, a new uh, it could be a TV? random page. It could be anything. Um, free if you send a screenshot of the fact that you've rated and reviewed the podcast to the uh-huh. Life's Rock Podcast Instagram account at Life's Rock Podcast Just on Instagram, shameless. Uh, I will comment something unbelievably nice on God. on your most recent post on instagram this is where we just got to. just like so so insanely kind basically so okay, that like so it's almost I, sickening kind of thing what i thought just like yeah if you toss that in there how you're gonna you're going Very to nice. have a a lovely comment that is going to pop up out of the blue and and all your friends are gonna be like oh my god who's this who's this this handsome young podcaster you know no, no. commenting on your post and and you can and you can play it off and be like I don't know this guy's such a creep okay. I have no okay. idea why so he's doing this there, there so, we agree. oh my god yeah, I just get agree. these kind of messages all the time agree you can that. use it to your advantage all right so that's going to be the yeah, the little thing advantage. this week the little incentive to rate and review the podcast um guys uh I want to thank you guys also for uh for reaching out and, and telling me recently um, about uh, about things that you've liked from uh, the guests that I've had on, the people who have DM'd me uh, to really talk about uh, 
the the content of what my guests have been have been talking about uh it really means a lot i love it i love to be able to interact with you guys as much as possible it's something that i'm definitely going to put uh, a little bit more emphasis on on the uh on the life's rec uh instagram account for sure to be fair real quick uh it actually really is nice to hear from you guys because i don't have to listen to him all the time i could focus on you guys just nice. So uh, yeah, so guys, thanks for reaching out. And there's a lot to unpack in uh, in this week's episode uh, because this week's guest is a licensed psychologist with a doctorate degree in clinical psychology who specializes in mindfulness-based cognitive behavioral therapy, treating individuals with generalized anxiety disorder, social anxiety disorder, panic disorder, obsessive compulsive disorder, rings of a couple bells, uh, and has led social anxiety disorder and obsessive compulsive disorder little, groups. Little She's the founder of Huddle.Care, which we're going to be talking about more in this episode, but it's an online group cognitive behavioral anxiety treatment platform uh and she also hosts a podcast it's called the tell me what you're proud of podcast uh where basically she does a the concept of the podcast is really interesting so she has um her her clients on and they record their therapy session and then that therapy session is put on um is put online so basically you can hear an entire an entire session and 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 i have to say i've listened to a couple of the episodes and her guests are, are so open. open up like that. Um, well, uh, her guests, her clients are so this open and never. she talks a little bit more about how she how makes them feel comfortable and everything like that. But from somebody who has been to their fair share of, uh, therapy appointments, For good uh, you know, in, um, much needed throughout my, uh, my sparklingly exciting life. Did you brag um, about therapy? It was really like, it's pretty cool to, to hear a full therapy session. Cause like you can't imagine, you know, it's such a scary thing. And then to, to have that broadcast out to, to God knows who, it you know it it's definitely like a nerve-wracking thing so it, it's really cool um and, and i don't want to keep blabbering anymore i just want to hop right into Thank it God. uh and, and i think you guys are really going to like this one and there's a lot of information so so uh definitely definitely try to soak in as much as you can um dr maggie perry without further ado how are you doing um i'm doing great Thank you. How are you? I'm I'm doing quite well. Quarantine has been uh, has been a bit tough for sure, as it has been for everybody. But uh, no, I'm I've been good. I got to uh, come back home and see my family for a bit, so definitely taking advantage of that for sure. Yeah, that's great. I've enjoyed the extra time with my family too. Yeah, it's been uh, it's kind of been a bit of a gift of time. So I really uh, I've definitely really enjoyed that. Um, the first thing I wanted to uh, to talk to you about is uh, first and foremost, just to kind of, uh, if you, in your own words, would be able to give a backstory on um, your um, progress through the medical field and with mental health. Sure. So I'm a clinical psychologist, and so my background started at the University of Michigan, where I got my BA in psychology. Um, then I got my doctorate in clinical psychology at Loyola University, Maryland, and I did my um, pre-doctoral internship and my post-doctoral fellowship at the Anxiety and Stress Disorder Institute in Maryland. And at, that was where I primarily treated panic disorder, social anxiety, OCD, and generalized anxiety and got a lot of expertise there. Um, after my postdoc, I moved to San Francisco and started a private practice, um, primarily seeing those same disorders. And it was a normal in-person private practice. Mm -hmm. um, after a couple of years, I moved to Chicago. And at that point, I was licensed in Maryland, California, and Illinois. So I decided to go completely telehealth. And I started a group program called Huddle.Care. So yeah. it's a group um, therapy program that also has individual therapy. Um, but it works like a membership where people pay by the month and then can come to group therapy whenever they want. Awesome. That's, uh, that's great. I like the idea of like kind of like the drop in kind of do it at your own pace. Yeah, exactly. And the other thing about group therapy is there's a couple things that it's very effective, particularly for anxiety disorders, but there's a couple things that make it hard to get into group therapy. 
and um, scheduling and billing are two of them. It's hard to get a bunch of people with the same problem in the same space at the same time. Mm. So now with Zoom, that's not as challenging. Sure. Um, but unlike a spin class or another fitness class where who who's on the bike next to you doesn't really matter in group therapy who's in the um on the screen next to you definitely matters mm -hmm. so it's partially i've made the model so that it can be drop in and flexible with the schedules but it's also like if you don't really feel like you fit in on tuesday night you can always go to like thursday morning mm -hmm. and like try out kind of different people mm -hmm. um, until you find your fit that's kind of the intention of it that's awesome. Why do you find that that kind of therapy works best for for the people that you're you're working with? Yeah, thanks for that question. So um, in anxiety treatment at this point, um, the model that I work from focuses on the process rather than the content. And what I mean by that is anxiety disorders all follow a, a similar process where you know, in the presence of fear, we have catastrophic thinking, we have the fight or flight response and catastrophic thinking. Mm -hmm. And then what takes an anxiety state and turns it into an anxiety disorder is when you add uncertainty and you resist that uncertainty. So all um, of the different anxiety disorders are just marked by the different avoidances that people do. And it's avoidance that creates, maintains and intensifies the anxiety. Mm -hmm. I say all that because in treatment, we're not just trying to help people take deep breaths or relax their muscles or something like that, which is anxiety management, but not anxiety treatment. Mm -hmm. Anxiety treatment is looking at um, the process that maintains the anxiety. Right. And um, it's actually easiest to see the process in other people. Mm. So if you're in a group with a bunch of people with a similar problem and you hear them describe what triggered their anxiety, what's happening in their body, what's keeping them stuck, what they're doing in response. There's a lot of like light bulb moments mm -hmm. of like, oh, that's what I'm doing. That's maintaining right. my suffering rather than I'm having a unique experience that's only happening to me. And this is my only option for how to respond. Mm -hmm. So the long-winded answer is basically group therapy is great for observing process in addition to normalization, support, and validation. Mm -hmm. I love that because I mean, I think in the world of mental health and something that I've seen in my own life um, is that you kind of sometimes develop these ideas that you're alone and that you're, you know, you're kind of going through this, uh, this craziness all by yourself and you're the only person who really deals with this and no one would necessarily understand. But uh, bringing a group of people together who all are kind of running that same race, I, I think is, is fantastic because I mean, I, I can definitely say for myself that I definitely don't recognize things in myself as much as I would in somebody else. So I think that the, the premise of it is, is quite fantastic for sure. How long has uh, Huddle.Care been around? Um, since January of 2017, so about okay. three and a half years. Awesome. That's, uh, it, it, has it evolved since that time or have you found that it has, uh, it was one of those things that people really responded to it quickly and it, uh, the model has stayed quite similar? Um, it started as just a, a handful of small groups that I took from my private practice. So I used to run small groups in person. And then as I transitioned to Chicago and put every, and transitioned to telehealth, I just took those same small groups and put them online. Mm -hmm. And what I found, like, per what I was saying before, is that getting people to trust that they're going to fit into a new group and joining the new group was a challenge where when I met people in person, the people that started those original groups just trusted me and then trusted each other and then ended up having a good rapport. So it was really when I was um, 
getting new requests for group that I thought of the idea of the monthly membership and the drop-in situation. And actually over time, I also came up with another thing called community time. And so it's basically an applied lecture, but it's a way to, for a new person to get to know the community. So in community time, everybody says what they're proud of, mm. which is just wonderful. So you just pick a moment in the week that you related to your anxiety effectively. And so even if it was a really bad week, like just being able to show up to a group of people and reinforce that moment. Um, and then I talk about the skills that made that happen. So we really get good reinforcement around that. Um, that can be like really motivating and hold people accountable. And then there's different themes that are pretty much relevant for everyone. So clinical perfectionism is almost relevant for everyone. Tolerance of uncertainty is often relevant. So we talk about different themes in community time, and then we bring them to the small groups and apply them to people's lives. Awesome. And so that, that changed over time, but mm -hmm. the model that I have now has been around probably a year and a half or two years. That's great. That's great. Um, is that, uh, at what point during huddle.care did, uh, the idea for your podcast, uh, tell me what you're proud of kind of, uh, come to fruition. Oh, yeah. Thanks for that question, too. So I've been working on the podcast for about six months. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was just with the person that I'm working on my podcast with that as I was describing Huddle, um, I actually said I have people tell me what they're proud of. And then we decided that that would be the title of the podcast, because I think that's mm -hmm. if I'm contributing anything to the field of psychology, I think that's um, where my methods are slightly different because a lot of I'm following an acceptance and commitment model, uh, which is pretty common in the field at this point. And I think just the slight twist that I have on it is that it's focused on what people are doing well and reinforcing those um, patterns. I've listened to um, a couple episodes of your podcast. One that stood out to me um, most significantly was the episode that you had done with Stephanie. Um, when she had uh, talked a lot about her intrusive thoughts. Uh, those are definitely something that were very prevalent in my own life. Uh, and um, it's, I, I, I guess a multitude of questions came from uh, listening to that episode. But, you know, first and foremost, how do you, how do you essentially make people feel comfortable to talk about those stories? Because going to therapy in itself can be a scary experience, let alone to have it recorded and then put into podcast form. Yeah, so the, the people that are on my podcast are certainly courageous. It's often um, from, in some cases, years of rapport. Right. Um, and also their identifying details and their voice has changed. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that makes it helpful. But anybody that's at the point that they're able to describe the process that maintains their anxiety or their OCD is pretty far into the therapy process, which I think is great. Right. Um, but to that point about people feeling safe in the process, um, I think that I do a couple of things that I hope make people feel safe. First off, I actually explain the theoretical model. So it's not always um, common for you to go to therapy and have the therapist actually explain how they think you're going to get better. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes you just start with you know, how you're doing, and you don't necessarily have a sense of the framework that the therapist is working within. So I think that immediate education can be immediately helpful and put people at ease. Um, and a in that education, I could go into a little bit more, but it's basically around how um, fight or flight plus catastrophic thinking leads to avoidance. And so all of, all of the techniques are in the service of finding and shifting the avoidance behaviors. Mm -hmm. um, and after education, I think the other thing is that um, 
when a therapist guess at what someone's experiencing, it helps normalize the process. Mm. So for instance, someone might say, um, you know, I'm having some harmed thoughts mm. and I might say, oh, okay, I totally understand. Are you having thoughts about grabbing a knife and stabbing yourself or someone else? Are you thinking about swerving into the median while you're driving? Are you thinking about, um, you know, touching children in private areas? Like, give me a little, flesh that out a little bit more for me. And I think just by giving examples of what someone might be thinking um, when they're having a harm intrusion, that can, it, that a therapist can help a client feel like they know what they're talking about, particularly around subjects that are taboo. Mm-hmm. It, it, it is an interesting thing. And that was the thing is listening to your podcast. I've, you know, I've, I've been fortunate enough to um, attend a variety of different uh, uh, therapies over the years uh, to kind of see what works for me personally. Um, but one of the things like, you know, speaking of that episode about Stephanie was the talking very openly and liberally about the intrusive thoughts. And I thought that it was, it, I, I thought it was fascinating because I think that it's so often so almost unspeakably taboo and, and the things that pop into your mind are so terrible. And you're like, I don't want to even speak these out into the universe um, to have, you know, like you said, you kind of like normalize that conversation. You know, could we talk a little bit more about that, that those intrusions and, and from your perspective as a mental health professional, what they are, what they signify and just going a little bit more into that? Um, sure. So let me actually say a little bit more about the overall understanding of what anxiety disorders and OCD are. Um, so we start with the anxiety state, which is normal, natural, healthy, and adaptive. And it's a reaction to a threat or a perceived threat. Mm-hmm. So in the presence of a perceived threat, we have fight or flight and we have catastrophic thinking. And there's different categories of catastrophic thinking that can show up when you're in fight or flight, really based on um, what the threat appears to be or what you value. And what I mean by what you value is you're, you're likely to have intrusive thoughts or catastrophic thinking about stuff you care about, but like in the opposite direction. The, you know, if you care deeply about your family, you're likely to have the thought, what if my family dies? Um, If you care deeply about your work, you're likely to have the thought, what if I don't turn something in on time? Um, So those are all, those versions of thoughts are normal thoughts in the presence of the feeling of fear. And then um, for the different anxiety disorders, panic disorder is fear of sensations and avoidance in response. So avoidance of situations, avoidance of sensations, avoidance of um, thoughts that could lead to sensations, things like that. Um, Social anxiety is fear of judgment, rejection, and embarrassment and avoidance and response. So again, avoidance of sensations, avoidance of situations, avoidance of memories that could trigger the feeling of embarrassment. There's all kinds of things people do to suppress and distract themselves from that type of experience. And then generalized anxiety and OCD are seen on a spectrum of egocentonic and egodystonic thinking, which is just fancy words for whether or not it feels reasonable. And so generalized worry is um, having a thought like, what if I'm at an appointment, what if I don't make it to an appointment on time, which likely feels reasonable to the person, but in the presence of that uncertainty, they might do more than just problem solving. They Mm. might check and recheck their GPS. They might get reassurance from someone. They might make an excessive list to ensure that they're on time. And all of those behaviors actually serve to maintain and intensify the uncertainty that they have. And it'll actually turn into more worry. 
So I frame all that up because OCD is functionally the same thing. It's just with thoughts that feel egodystonic, so they feel unreasonable to the person. Mm -hmm. So in the presence of uncertainty, you have an unwanted intrusive thought. It arrives with a spike of anxiety and the urge to do something to make it go away. Mm -hmm. And so a common one would be I have the thought that my door isn't locked and then I have a spike of uncertainty about it, anxiety about it. I have the urge to check the door again, even if I saw my hand lock the door. Mm -hmm. And because of the uncertainty, because in other areas of life, whenever we feel uncertain, we act on it, we problem solve and it goes away. Mm -hmm. It feels very strange to have a feeling of uncertainty and not do something about it. Mm -hmm. And particularly for the unknowing person that has a biological vulnerability to OCD, they start engaging in that process of checking whenever they feel uncertain before right. it's, um, you know, before they realize that the pattern is making it worse. And then all of a sudden they've been doing it so often that it's happening really often. And then that can be incredibly demoralizing. So there's typically an extra level of like shame and demoralization about the uncertainty that shows up with unwanted intrusive thoughts, mm -hmm. but it really can range to from, how do I know that there aren't germs um, in this location? How do I know that I check the door or the stove? Um, how do I know that I'm not gonna hurt someone? How do I know that um, this really disgusting thought isn't gonna come back or scary thought isn't gonna come back? Um, so basically anything that a person doesn't wanna be thinking could and the more that you don't want to be thinking something the more likely it is to show up just like don't right. think about a white elephant right now gotcha. and yeah. you just got it yeah so that's kind of how intrusive thoughts are functioning if you don't want to be experiencing something it will come back and if you resist against it it'll persist mm -hmm. in your experience what do you find is a great um you know overall treatment option for intrusive thoughts uh and what's a good first step yeah, the first step is actually getting yourself educated. So there's a lot of really good books um, about these concepts. I would say in, for intrusive thoughts in particular, on overcoming unwanted intrusive thoughts by Martin Seif and Sally Winston um, is a really great book that is a very um, educational and compassionate take on having intrusive thoughts. Um, and after you get yourself educated, you're basically looking for professional help that helps you identify the patterns and then um, challenges you to do the opposite of what your body feels like doing. So what you said earlier around, it's hard for me to understand what's happening within myself. It's easier to see it in someone else. Welcome to the human condition that, that's happening for everyone. Right. And that's also why most people, some people can read a book, understand the process, apply it to themselves and be good to go. If you're that type of person, uh, you know, I applaud you. That's great. Try the book first. But most people need help. Um, like once they understand the concepts, they need help slowing themselves down, noticing when it's occurring, coming up with some different options of what they can do rather than what their mind wants them to do. Mm -hmm. And then also accountability and uh, motivation over time. Mm -hmm. So the buzzwords for this or not buzzwords, but like the treatment modalities, um, that you want to look for is cognitive behavioral therapy, acceptance and commitment therapy, um, exposure and response prevention, mindfulness-based CBT is another term, but exposure and response prevention is the major technique. 
and basically it's just saying we're going to expose you to the thing that you find anxiety provoking mm. we're going to prevent you from avoiding mm. so anything that is going towards anxiety on purpose triggering it on purpose and then seeing it as an opportunity to relate more effectively um, would be the type of help that would get someone through this right so when you have somebody who who comes in um, and uh, they're sitting down for a session or they're in health care, what is the what is the practical application of that? What are the actual actions that they take um, to to start to kind of rewire that that thinking pattern? It's a great question. Again, um, so I would start with self monitoring. Mm -hmm. So um, in self monitoring, there's really specific things that you, you want to be looking at. So you're looking at what am I triggered by? Is it internal or external? So external triggers are situations, locations, people, um, activities. Internal triggers are thoughts, feelings, memories, sensations. Uh, but anything could, could trigger an, an intrusive thought or a worry thought. So it's what's my trigger first, then what is my thought, then what's my feeling? What's my sensation? What do I want to do in response? And then what do I actually do? And then once people have some, have the, they've collected some data on moments that they're typically stuck and what, when they observe their mind, what um, is happening in their self-monitoring, then we take those moments and try to offer some more flexibility. And so the therapy is very present moment in the, that it's like you show up and say, okay, in the last week, these are the moments that I was stuck. Mm. But the idea is that we're using the content of your life currently to help you understand the process of your mind generally. And then you can get relief from wherever you're stuck right now, but then also have the resilience to observe the process in yourself later and prevent yourself from getting stuck. Interesting. I love hearing about this because I mean, my, my approach when I first started this podcast, when, uh, when I first started to kind of go through um, the process of getting better mentally uh, was kind of very just like, I, I guess just kind of like I, I almost said on my very first podcast that I ever did, I said this podcast was like a spoonful of sugar. It's not backed by science, but if it helps you feel better, it helps you feel better. Um, and so it's, it's really interesting to hear the actual kind of, um, that, that, yeah, as you said, the cognitive behavioral training and, and how, you know, you can develop different, uh, different life patterns. It is, it is really, it's quite something really, honestly, how long do you find it is until your clients really start to kind of see things within themselves? And obviously it's a case by case basis for sure. Um, but I know I've spoken to so many people who, when they, when they first start going to therapy, um, it, it's a tough, it's a bit of a slow process. How long do you find it is until people start to, to kind of feel a little bit better, a little bit more able to kind of handle that day to day? Yeah. So with the anxiety disorders and OCD, so OCD just for semantics, isn't part of the category of anxiety disorders, but okay. the way that I treat it and some of my contemporaries treat it is very similar. So that's why I'm saying anxiety and OCD. Um, but they, um, if you've never heard what I'm describing, I've seen people get relief within two to three weeks. Wow. So if you're not full recovery, but um, if you've never been educated about the way that your mind operates and you've never been observing it the way that I'm describing, then within two to three weeks, you should start to observe and start to flex your responses a little bit and get some relief. And sometimes people get relief immediately just from having a different understanding of what's happening, not thinking that they're losing touch with reality right. or never going to get better or, or completely mm -hmm. alone. So those um, I think also provide people with relief, 
but then after that two to three week bump of like okay i'm i'm suddenly understanding this differently and starting to respond differently um depending on how severe the disorder is and how for how long it's gone untreated there can be some really subtle avoidances that maintain suffering and take a long time to um, relate differently to so i think actually when it comes to professional help also what you're looking for in someone that you're getting professional help from is that they know the patterns really well so it's great as an individual person to know the patterns within yourself. I think it's my role as a um, psychologist to understand hundreds of different patterns and to be able to predict them in people and see them before that happens to the person so that I can try to get out in front of what could cause suffering. Um, so with that in mind, actually severity doesn't predict prognosis, meaning that even if you're really, really stuck and really, um, really distressed it doesn't mean it's going to take as long to get better as it did to get to that spot but sometimes there are honestly quite subtle avoidances that are that take a little bit of time to even notice are occurring besides that some things that predict recovery are um, sense of humor and sense of willingness and the reason that i'm saying that is so willingness is about seeing the process for what it is and being willing to take a leap of faith and try something new. And if you see what's happening, but you're having trouble kind of jumping into the chasm of like, like I'm, I'm not going to do the avoidance behavior when I'm anxious, I'm going to let myself have that feeling and even go towards it. Um, then it doesn't matter if you understand, you actually have to do the work. Mm -hmm. um, so that can get in the way of making progress. Um, and then the, the other thing is sense of humor that fear and and laughter can't coexist. Right. And if you're laughing, you have some sense of distance from what you're thinking. Mm -hmm. And what we're trying to do is get distance from thinking. So laughing about it is a great way to get there. I love that. I, I honestly, that was, uh, again, I, you know, I keep uh, going back to why this, you know, this podcast got started. Um, and it, uh, and it was kind of the whole idea that it's called life's a wreck for a reason, you know, life can be this crazy mess and we're all, just kind of just kind of working through it and uh, to be able to kind of almost laugh at the craziness sometimes. I definitely think there have been many times in my own life uh, where things are, let's say with an intrusive thought, it's it's so absurd and it's or it's so disgusting to the point where you're like, it's almost humorous. I love the idea of it. Do you find that in the, in the huddle care groups that humor is a is a large aspect of, of the group therapy? Yeah, absolutely. I think it, at least humor or, and also like when things resonate, when someone mm -hmm. says something and three other people shake their heads and it's like, yes, that's happening yeah. to me too. Yeah. Um, that can be really helpful. I do want to just comment on how can my mind that's choosing to have this conversation also have intrusive thoughts. Mm -hmm. And the way that I like to think about it is that most of what we think about is junk mm. that we actually don't have, we have, I have control over the words that I'm speaking right now right. and I'm choosing to think about this conversation, but just because I'm choosing to think about this conversation doesn't mean I have control about everything that happens in my consciousness. Mm -hmm. And again, most of it is junk and meaningless. So you don't, we don't have to, you don't have to um, judge your character on or, or any part of you on what just happens to show up, but rather how you act. It's a beautiful message to share because I think that so many people, I mean, it's so easy to, when you're not educated, like you, you know, it said that that's kind of the first step 
to think that you are in control of those thoughts that are coming up and that, you know, by, by just having them in general, that that makes you a bad person essentially. And uh, I'm sure that a lot of people that that's kind of a, that's kind of a tough thing to, to wrap your head around that that's just, it's just there and you don't have to necessarily engage. Yeah. And that actually the less you and like not engaging doesn't make you a bad person. If you don't engage, it'll pass. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's uh, there's two more questions I want to ask you. Uh, and the first uh, one is, why did you want to uh, get into this work in the first place? What was, uh, what kind of spurned this all on? Yeah. So I was definitely the kid that um, all my friends came and talked to me about problems and stuff like that. So as I had it, and then, so I was that kind of kid. And then I had some leadership positions in high school and I took APA, AP psychology, luckily, um, early in my high school experience and my teachers went to Michigan. So because of AP psychology, I was able to get into research right away at Michigan and just had some really amazing experiences doing work with women and babies and all things like that with attachment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I say all this just because I really liked psychology and like, and I had a knack for it early on. Um, and then my internship, so through Michigan and my doctorate program, I was studying kind of general clinical psychology. I didn't have like a life plan necessarily. And it was really that I happened to place at the Anxiety and Stress Disorder Institute that really got me excited about psychology and about psychotherapy. Mm -hmm. Um, Because prior to then, I didn't know the techniques I know now. And in my practicums, I didn't find myself having as much efficacy. And actually treating anxiety disorders... um, effectively can be one of the most rewarding things to do as a psychologist because you get such good results. Like Mm. um, anxiety disorders are the most common psychological problem in the world, but they're also the most treatable disorder. Mm. Um, So it just can be really exciting to see people that are really stuck get a lot better and kind of face themselves with courage and humility and compassion. And it's just really rewarding work, honestly. That's fantastic. I love that. Um, the last thing I want to talk to you about is at the end of every podcast episode, every time I have a guest on, um, I, I kind of started doing it with uh, at the beginning of my podcast, where at the end of the week, I would kind of give essentially a challenge to my listeners to say, like, here's something that you can adopt into your week or into your month or even into your whole year that might help you not in maybe a drastic way, but might just help every day just get a little bit better and a little bit better. Um, what's something that you would say is just something small that somebody could do to incorporate into their own lives that you think would help uh, either ease the strain of what they're going through or put them on the path to recovery? I would say reduce your urgency. Mm-hmm. So one of the um, most one of the components of anxiety is urgency. And if you have, you could have the same thought without the feeling of anxiety and you probably wouldn't feel urgent. Mm. So when you're noticing that you feel urgent, doing anything to slow yourself down gives you the chance at um, responding more effectively. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I know it's a little bit cliche to say like, take three deep breaths. Mm. But honestly, when you're in in the stage of differentiating between is my anxiety part of a larger condition of suffering or is it just, is it actually a problem to solve? If you can slow down anytime you feel urgent, again, you have a chance at um, doing something differently. Mm -hmm. So however you want to build in reducing urgency, there's a number of different ways, including mindfulness meditation or breathing practices, yoga, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But if, if in everyday life, just as you get, 
as you get that feeling, like your heart starts racing, you suddenly feel like you have to do something. If you can teach yourself to stop, mm. um, you have a real chance at observing yourself. Mm. If somebody is like, you know, let's say kind of almost seemingly like they're feeling out of control, is there is there something, like a certain technique that they might be able to implement to then be able to take that step towards saying, okay, I got to, then I got to take these deep breaths. If they are feeling like that, that crazy whirlwind kind of out of control. If you feel completely out of control, you should lay on your, you should lay on your stomach with your windpipe on the ground mm. um, so that you can only breathe through your nose. Mm. Um, because what if you're, so by out of control, that's suggesting to me that they're maybe on their way to panic right. or they're having so much thought, so many thinking that they just can't think straight. And so what happens when you lay on your stomach is you can only breathe, you can't um, control your breathing and actually what you want to be doing is breathing from your nose so that you don't hyperventilate. Okay. Um, and you basically can't hyperventilate in that position and it slows you down. Awesome. That's, uh, that's fantastic. So now uh, that we're kind of reaching the end of everything, uh, where can everybody find your podcast and uh, how can they sign up for huddle.care? Okay. Yeah. So you can sign up for huddle.care by going to www.huddle.care. Um, and you can either sign up for my weekly newsletter or book a consultation through the sign up button um, on my website. Um, my podcast is called Tell Me What You're Proud Of. And you can find that on Spotify, um, iTunes, anywhere you find podcasts. And then I also have an Instagram um, at Tell Me What You're Proud Of. That's awesome. Uh, Dr. Fair, I want to thank you so much. Uh, this has been an absolute pleasure. And uh, I know that uh, I benefited just as much as uh, my listeners have. So thank you so much. Thanks for your time, Kyle. Guys, I want to thank Dr. Perry for coming on the podcast today. Um, obviously, you know, everything that she said really resonated with me as somebody who deals with uh, OCD and anxiety, who has uh, little little mental quirks. An absolute um, basket you know, case. I'm not going to lie. This podcast was kind of like throwing myself a bone. You know, it was like, it was like, you know, a free little 30 minute, uh, you know, learning about OCD little, you know, this is how you get free therapy kids. You, you start a podcast. Honestly, starting a podcast will make you want to go to therapy anyway. So this is just a uh, little loophole. Yeah, honestly, very yeah. true. Um, something that stood out to me, and I, this guy knew to that conversation that I love so much. Um, well, a couple of things. Number one, it was like how crazy deep the world of OCD and anxiety is, how many different kinds of, of OCD and anxiety, how many different treatments, how many different ways of processing how crazy what's going on in your life um and also the fact that humor plays such a big role in predicting recovery you know like that was a thing is like when i started this podcast i kind of wanted it to be an opportunity to kind of laugh at the the nonsense to be able to laugh at everything that was going on and and everything that made life not necessarily great at times and just to be able to laugh because it's like you only get you know one shot at this and 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 your own brain is making it terrible like that's so messed up um and just the fact that it's actually like clinically proven that humor plays a role in recovery and predicting recovery and i really love honestly it's a shame that you're not funnier or uh, maybe we could speed this whole process i hope you guys enjoyed this as always follow today's guests on social media uh you can follow dr perry's podcast on instagram at tell me what you're proud of uh again guys go check out the podcast it's really great uh and, and you know while you're on instagram you know, toss this uh, this podcast to follow as well at Life's Direct Podcast. You know, just uh, you know, just click the little follow button, and then while you're doing that, if you're like, oh well, I mean, the host is like tolerable, tolerable. let's oh. let's toss him a follow okay, as well. Same page, Forzy with three Y's. It's easy. Yeah, it's fine. Oh it's God, dude, everything you do is yeah. just so. Yeah. 
I should it's make you much. a podcast. Or, uh, yes, give the people what they want. Uh, I should make you an Instagram. No, give me a podcast. Yeah. Nah, well, <laughs> let's we'll get see. this thing going. Uh, but uh, yeah, guys, as I'm just kind of sitting here and thinking about today's episode, I really can't help but think that uh, you're nuts. Life's a wreck. Well, too. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.